0: the recording, there we go, when, when we don't have our usual guy back there, I forget, you know, last week I'm like, oh yeah, we forgot to do this, forgot to do that, and then Mark's like, where's garage band things? Those were things we haven't used in like a year and a half, and so that's, uh, that's become quite a technical corner back there, and so well that's good that Mark's able to do that, and I appreciate that, and so that's a good thing. Mark, chapter number six, continuing in our series in the book of Mark. And what a blessing this book has been to me. And I just enjoy going verse by verse, going chapter by chapter through here. And uh, if you remember last week, we, kinda, we learned about John the Baptist and his death. And, uh, but you've got to realize that didn't happen right then. What happened was Herod was hearing all the things that Jesus was doing. And so it reminded him, and he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. Then they go back and tell what happened to John the Baptist. So, as we're continuing on here, we get here to verse number 30 is where our text begins today. It says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest awhile. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. If you remember going back to two weeks ago, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. They go out preaching and teaching in the name of Christ. And so what happens is they come back and they're telling him all the great things that have happened from that time. Kind of reminds me of, you know, we would have, we'll have days where we go out visiting or soul winning and things. And you come back and someone's gotten saved and everyone's just sharing how great it was. That's what they were doing here. And Jesus takes some time here, and, you know, after this you would think, well, you got to keep on going. But he tells them, no, guys, we need to, you need to rest a little bit. They get on a boat to go get some rest, and the people beat them to the other side. And so there really was no rest. But when Jesus saw the crowd of people, he could have been flustered, frustrated a little bit. But no, we have a Savior that had compassion. He saw them, saw their need, and he did something about it. We live in a world today, and Caroline mentioned a few minutes ago, have got to be careful, Caroline could preach pretty well. She was getting going there just a little bit ago. And uh, I gotta, I'm gonna have to, we're going to have to put a timer up on that one TV back there that says you've got three minutes for those announcements. I'm just teasing. But we tried to teach the young people at Vacation Bible School just a little over a week ago how wonderful god is i think our world has a distorted view of who god is they say there is no god and then but even those who think they have a clue about god don't have much of a clue and when we look today some people look at god being so high and holy That he has no time for people like you and me. But that's not our God. That's not our Savior. He cares. And I want you to understand this morning as we look at this passage, you've got to understand, and I want you just to get this thought through your mind this morning, that Jesus cares. Wherever you are today, whatever's going on, he cares. In this passage, he cared for the weary disciples. In this passage, He cared for the multitude of people. Jesus cares. And I want you to have that thought this morning as we go through the message. Father, we need your help this morning. We thank you for this passage. I think it's a timely passage. It's amazing how when you just go through the books of the Bible like this, that they're right what we need, right at the right time. I thank you for that. Bless the time that we have this morning. I pray that what we see today, that you would just help us and guide our thoughts, guide us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the reasons he cares so much is because he knows what we're going through. He knows this. Why? Because he came to this world. He lived in this world and knows what it is like. And God Almighty actually robed himself in human flesh so that he might live among men and die on a cross for us sinners. That's what the Bible teaches us, and that's what the Bible is very clear about. We know in Philippians 2, verse number 5 through verse number 8, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But the Bible says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, the Scripture tells us he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." He came and lived here. He died on a cross for our sins. He cares. He knows what it's like to live this life. While He was here, He endured many things. He endured pain. He endured poverty. He endured suffering. You know, Jesus knew what it was like to do without. The Bible tells us in Matthew 8, in verse number 20. And Jesus said unto him, "...the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests." But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be rejected. The Bible tells us in John 1 verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to suffer pain. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to die. He walked through this world and experienced what he did so that he could help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. As we get to this passage of Scripture, as we look and we study Jesus more, we see the fact that he cared for two groups of people here. He cared for his apostles. He cared for those that had no shepherd. And as we dive in today, Mark's jumping ahead on the notes there, so let's go right to it. If if I'm going too slow, Mark's just going to throw the next slide up to keep me moving along. And so Mona's back there telling him, "All right, now's the time. I saw her flip that finger back there. Number one, we see that Jesus cares about laboring servants. We see that Jesus cares about laboring servants we look back at verse number 30 and the apostles gathered themselves together unto jesus and told him all things both what he had done and what he had been taught what they had taught and he said unto them coming yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while for there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat and they departed into a desert place by ship privately We see letter A, we see the disciples, we see their activity. Verse number 30 here takes place right after the events of verse number 13. Jesus sent the 12 apostles out, the 12 disciples out to preach, teach, and to heal. Their ministry was a success. And they return to Jesus and they're telling him all about what has taken place. They're excited about all they witnessed and all the doctrine that they were able to teach and I can just imagine them gathering around him and all of them trying to talk at once Jesus this happened here and they're trying to cut in with each other and they're just excited about what is taking place and may I just say this morning there is no greater joy in life than being able to serve Jesus Don't ever lose sight of that. The fact that the Lord would take someone like me and someone like each of us this morning and allow us the wonderful privilege to be able to do His work, what an honor that is. And when you stop to consider where we've came from and what He's doing in our lives and what's going on and to think that He's done all these things, He's saved us, and He allows us to have part in His work. What a privilege that is. What a blessing that is. And it's hard to comprehend that he would want to use people like us, like me. But I want you to understand this morning, the Bible's clear. that The Lord saved us to serve him. The Bible tells in Ephesians 2, verse number 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And he saved us, and when he saved us, he equipped us to do the work, and I thank God for that. It's a wonderful thing to be busy doing the work of God. There is nothing like the work of God. And may I just encourage your heart this morning, if you've never taken time in your life to serve God, there's nothing greater, and you will not fulfill the purpose He's called you to without serving Him. Let me just encourage you in that area. Find somewhere to serve Him. I love David in Psalm 84, verse number 10. The Bible says, Psalm 84, 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is a king. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. What a privilege it is to be able to serve the king of kings. They were sent out to do the work. And we see their activity. They were serving. But letter B, we see his advice. We see Jesus' advice to them. We look at verse number 31. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. There wasn't even time to sit down and get a plate. You'd ever been there? You just have a day that's so busy you just can't even find time, to- or you're ministering to people, whatever the case may be, and you just can't even find a time to stop and get a meal. That's how it was for the disciples here. And it says in verse 32, and they depart into a desert place by ship privately. Now, this is kind of interesting to me. Jesus is hearing the great things that have taken place, and all these people are coming, and then he gives some strange advice. This is not usual advice. You don't hear churches give out this advice very often, but this is the advice that our Savior gave. A lot of people would have said, hey, seize the moment. You have all these people you've been ministering to, reach out to them and take the moment and go forward with it. The people were listening. The crowds were coming. It seems like the perfect time to send out the disciples and preach and heal and increase the crowds. But Jesus says, no, we need to get away for a little bit of time of rest and refreshment. I think there are several reasons why Jesus did this. And I think these reasons are still valid today. I want to give you just two of them before we go on to point number two. But number one, the physical stress of ministry is enormous. When the disciples returned to Jesus, they found him surrounded by crowds of needy people. The people were coming and going at a crazy, so much they couldn't even sit down and eat a meal. And Jesus knew this. That if his disciples, his men, if they were going to be able to do the tasks at hand, they had to take time to rest. And that's important. That's a great word for us today as modern Christians. God did not design you and I to go like we force ourselves to go at times. God never intended for us to run through life with a cell phone in one ear, a daily planner in your hand, and a schedule so full of activity that th- no one could possibly get it all done. God expects us to take time to rest, and it is a good thing. And as when we think about this, our days, months, and years have all been discovered through observation in our world, Right? One revolution of the earth was observed, it's called a day. A lunar cycle was um, observed, and it's called a month. One revolution of the earth around the sun is called a year. But you got to understand something. Where did the seven-day week come from? It came from God. The Bible tells us in chapter no, I mean Genesis 2, verse number 2 and 3, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. You say, why did God need to rest? He didn't need to rest. He's God. Why did he rest on the seventh day to set an example for his people? Exodus chapter number 20, verse 9 and 10. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not, not do any work, neither shalt thou, neither thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservants, nor thy maidservants, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. God decreed that men should work six days and rest one day. And I know you say, we don't follow the Sabbath today. I get that. But there are great principles. God knows what he's doing in all the things that He set up. And I believe that it's very important that you take some time and rest. I'll give you an example. Someone has said, now if this is true, this is what's been said. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. You get up and try it sometime and see how you feel afterwards. Someone has said that 45 minutes of preaching is equivalent in mental and physical stress to working eight hours. I am a firm believer in that. After two Sunday morning messages, go sit on my couch with me Sunday afternoon. I'm wiped. And I get enough energy and a cup of coffee, cold coffee, to get me through Sunday night. But one of the things that I've learned just not too long ago is there were times where I would be staying, and it happens every once in a while still. I'm learning, okay? I'm I'm preaching to myself in this message too, just so you know. But in this, and like I was supposed to be on vacation this week and we see the things that have happened. There's no mistakes with God and the things that happen. We're do- The church is going to, we're doing just fine. Everything's clearing up. Things are getting better. We're going to be just fine. We're moving forward. Everything's going to be alright. But I want you to understand something. It's important to rest. It is. It's important to give vacation. It's important to do those things. One of the things that I've learned to help me and It took me a while to get this. I would stay up super late Saturday night working on my message because I felt I had to get just a little bit more. And you say, didn't you have, I have all week. Yes, I spend all week. I spend hours on my sermons. But something that's helped me quite a bit, I don't go to bed late on Saturdays anymore. I've learned that if I go to bed at a decent time Saturday night and sleep, I do much better preaching twice Sunday morning and Sunday night. If you want to be effective in your ministry, you've got to take times to rest and refresh. It's an important thing. God wants us to serve him, but let me help you today and help myself. God does not want us to kill ourselves in the middle of doing it. We've got to take time to rest. Someone penned this poem and it goes like this. Some of you have heard part of this poem before, but you've never heard it this way. Mary had a little lamb was given to her to keep, but then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. I thought that was pretty good. So why did Jesus give this advice? He gave this advice, number one, the physical stress of ministry. It's enormous. But number two, I believe, because the disciples were in danger of being lifted up in spiritual pride. If these men were sent right back out and had seen the same or greater results... They were in danger, maybe thinking that they were something special. Because the truth was, let's be honest, they really did nothing. They were successful in a sense that Jesus was successful through them. All they did was go. The Lord does the work. That's a great word and a great thing for us to remember today. We must never get to the place where we think it's about us. If I ever get to preach a great message, to God be the glory, not me. If you're a teacher and you, things go well in your class, give Him the glory. If you sing a special in church and it goes well, give Him the glory. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of thinking we are something special. And if we're not careful, we can become lifted up with pride. And may I just remind you this morning, just to help us out in this area, that the very best you and I can produce on our own is garbage. Isaiah 64, verse number 6. Bible says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like as the wind have taken us away. But I want you to understand something. The best I can do on my own is a filthy rag, but it's amazing what he can do in the way he can work. The Bible tells us in Galatians 2.20, that I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. you got to understand, he's the source of all our strength. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And he deserves all the glory. Seventeen twenty-eight. scripture says for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring and you got to understand when we begin to think that the success of our ministry is a result of our own strength and our ability we're headed for a fall because it's all about him and all i'm trying to say is we must remember where the blessings of service come from it's not the preacher It's not the teacher. It's no one that has flesh. It's all about him. And so we see, number one, today that he cared about the laboring servants. Number two, we see he cares about lost sheep. Jesus and his men are getting away on a small vacation, a sabbatical, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But they didn't slip away unnoticed. The people saw them leaving and recognized the boat that Jesus was on that boat. Look at verse 33 there. It says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Getting on a boat, going to the other side where they were going is about a four mile trip. If you have a speedboat today, you can do that four miles pretty quick. If you're on a boat back in those days and there's no wind, it's going to take a while to get to the other side. Now, that four-mile stretch, you could do that same four-mile stretch in ten miles and walk there. And that's literally what the people did. They walked to where Jesus was going to be. And when we look at this, it's cr- and it's when Jesus nears the shore, there was a large group of people. And in fact, verse 44, you look down there, it says, And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. So this is where the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. 5,000 men, the Bible says there. So if, if a lot of those men were married, if they had any children, there quite possibly could have been fifteen to 20,000 people right there that were waiting for Jesus when he's trying to get away with the disciples. Many people would have been angry, think. They're ruining my plans. I have plans. I'm getting away. And what are they doing here? Don't they understand? I'm getting away. He could have ignored them. What does the Bible say Jesus did? He was moved with compassion towards them. Hey, church, this morning, when we see a person in need, what's your response? There are normally four ways that we respond. The first one is apathy. Or, yeah, apathy. And this word refers to an absence of emotion. You might see the need, but you don't care. Oh, I see that, but eh. That's what apathy is. There's a lot of apathy in our world today. A lot of need, but not a lot of caring. The second reaction we could have is sympathy. And this word refers to a harmony of feelings. In other words, you see a need and you know how they feel because you felt that way too. It's having sympathy for somebody. Because you look at someone, let's say, say someone loses, well, use Faye Treadwall, her son just passed away. And literally, His birthday was July 15th. I called her and talked to her for a while. I have compassion for her and sympathy to a degree, but I've never lost a son. I do not know exactly how she feels. But someone who has lost a son, or maybe in the room you've lost a parent, to this point I have not you can feel some, someone who's a parent, you'll have more sympathy for them because you've been right there where others might not have been. So sympathy, it's, it's seeing a need, and it's feeling something for them that are there. The other one, number three, would be empathy. And this word speaks of an emotion that is stronger than sympathy. And when you empathize with someone, you hurt with them. It means you share in the pain that they feel. And then the fourth response we could have would be compassion. The word compassion, as it's used in the Bible, it means to be moved inwardly. To yearn with tender mercy, affection, pity, and empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feeling. The phrase move with compassion means to be moved to the inner organs. It has the same idea of that thought from the bottom of my heart. Jesus was moved with compassion for these people. When Jesus saw them, he saw the people, he was touched by their needs. And he was moved by a strong desire to meet their needs. We look at this and we look at our final point this morning and he cares about the lost sheep. We think about letter A, the reasons for his concern. Why did he have this compassion? Why? What was his concern for these people? Look at verse 33 and verse 34, the beginning of it. And the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of the cities and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus... Came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When Jesus looked at the people, he saw them as a flock of lost sheep. He was stirred by the vision of them as helpless lambs with no one to care about them. Oh, you might say, oh, they had people that cared. They had the religious leaders of their day. But those men didn't care about the people. They had the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They didn't care. They cared about things being done their way, they didn't care about those people. They wanted those people to march to their tune, obey their rules, keep their things in order. The Jewish leaders looked at the people of Israel and all they saw was a people that existed to serve them. When Jesus saw the people of Israel, he saw them as they really were, lost sheep in need of a shepherd. The image of lost people as sheep is powerful. As many of you may know, sheep are the dumbest animal on the planet. Caroline's like, couldn't you use another word than dumbest? No, that fits. That's what it, the dumbest animal. There you go. Google it. You can Google it. But I want you to understand something. Why does the Lord refer to the lost as sheep? Think about this. Is he trying to insult them? No, he's telling the truth. Which leads us to number one, sheep without a shepherd cannot find their way. Apart from the ministry of the heavenly shepherd, no lost person can ever find their way to God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 3 make very clear for us. And you've got to understand, no, as we look at this, the lost are hopelessly lost, and they need a shepherd to come and to rescue them. That's why the lost are referred to as sheep. Number two, because sheep without a shepherd are absolutely defenseless. Apart from the intervention of the heavenly shepherd, no lost person can ever avoid the wrath of God and the fires of hell. A lost soul is in terrible danger. You think about that. Religious activities, good works, good intentions, good person will never be enough. The only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Hey, we are kept today not by, as we talked about on Wednesday night, we're kept by the power of God, first, first Peter 1 Peter 1.5, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We talk about John 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, that they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. When we look at those verses, and when we think about those verses this morning, God understand, this is why he referred to the lost of sheep. And the third reason is because sheep without a shepherd are dumb. Apart from the ministry of the heavenly shepherd, think about this. Lost people don't even know they're lost. They don't. They don't see it. So this is not the Lord insulting them as sheep without a shepherd. He's just stating the facts. We're helpless on our own. We can't make it on our own. We're defenseless. We're all pretty dumb at times. And then we see letter B, the reach of his concern. As I read this passage, and this passage did my heart so much good this week. I get a sense that while Jesus saw this crowd, he saw much more. He saw a huge group of people, and this is a lot of people, but he also saw individuals in the crowd. Hey, He saw a throng of people, but I believe he saw every broken heart in that crowd. He saw every physical ailment, every emotional need, every spiritual problem. He saw it all. He saw the crippled child. He saw the abused wife. He saw the depressed father. He saw the rebellious teenager. He looked at the crowd, but he saw the individual. And praise God, that encourages me this morning. I am so thankful to know that I serve a God who knows all things. Hebrews chapter number 4, the Bible tells us in verse number um, 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him of whom we have to do. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15 verse number three, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil. And the good. Our God sees everything this morning. He cares. He has the ability not only to focus on the crowd, but on the individual this morning. He cares not only for the world, but He cares about you this morning. He cares about your needs this morning. You can come to Him and you can find help in time of need. You can cast all your care upon Him because He cares about you this morning. You can come unto Him, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest this morning. That's our Savior. Why was Jesus able to have compassion on so many different kinds of people in so many different settings and situations? Because even though Jesus could see all their faults, he didn't let that get in the way of his compassion and expression of love. He didn't just look at that which was apparent on the surface is able to look at these people and to see their true needs. He loved them at the deepest level of his being. He was never impatient with them or offended by their needs. Church, how do we see people today? That's very important. I think sometimes we just see people, it's like, why? why do you do stupid things over and over and over again? But you don't know what's happened in that life to get them to that point. Man, it's done me some good being a police chaplain now and going on a few ride-alongs. Because you get to see some of the, there are some dumb people around us. I'm just going to put it that way. I do dumb things too, so, but there are just some dumb, but they're people. They have feelings. They have emotions. And if we could just see people differently than how we look at them and look at them like Christ does, it would help so much. What happens is we often base our evaluation of a person on what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears. You'll look at someone and be like, I could. I'll give you an example. This, this, there's a, in in our city. One of the sergeants. I'm like this guy. I'm, I'm probably never going to talk to him. He looks like he looks like a jerk. He does. Just one of those guys, standoffish. So funny. He's the nicest guy in all the world. He is one of the my my best friends there now. Left Caroline a message for her birthday on Facebook the impression was way different than what reality really was. And sometimes we allow that to be the case in our lives. What we need to learn is to look past the exterior of a person to see who they truly are. We must see their needs before we can express compassion to them. That's what Jesus does. That's what Philippians 2.4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's where Galatians 6.2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew 22.39, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the essence of that. If we could get a hold of this and learn this truth, We need to see their needs so we can express compassion. Let her see, and lastly, today, we see the response of his concern. These people came to Jesus for help. And he didn't say, Hey, I'm closed, taking a break. It's my vacation. Leave me alone. The disciples didn't drive them away. The Bible says this is what he did. He began to teach them many things. There in that out-of-way location, Jesus spread the spiritual banquet table with a feast of eternal truths. He saw lost people. He had compassion on them and gave them what they needed. And then we'll get to later on the fact that not only did he take care of their spiritual need. But think about this. Those people traveled a long ways. It was probably spur of the moment. They didn't bring their lunches with them. They were physically hungry. And Jesus is like, I'm going to take care of these people. He needs something about it. Jesus gathered up the lost sheep that day. And what did he do? He pointed them to God. He surely showed them the true way to salvation. He surely told them the love of God for them. Hey, church, as I was reading that and seeing how Jesus just taught them, it reminded me of the day that the good shepherd found me, the day that he tugged on my heart. Brian, this is for you. You're the sinner in the story. You're the one who needs me dead in my sin yet the good shepherd found me and to see he did that for these people he's done it for you and me what a, how wonderful that is where does this passage today find you are you weary in the work of God have you lost your joy of salvation have the things of God become more of a drudgery to you are you spiritually tired you may need a break and you need to come to Jesus. Are you a lost sheep today? Are you out in the field needing a shepherd to help guide you? Well, church, I found the good shepherd. And hey, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He's taking care of everything in my life. So let these truths here today let them be a help and an encouragement to you today. If you're weary, find some rest. Hey, maybe the way you view people, look at their needs instead of just the exterior. it will help you a lot with working with people. Because I'll tell you this, there are days that it gets long working with people. There are many days where I just want to take my head and And that feels good compared to what my brain feels like some days. But then I just think about how patient the Lord is with me. With all the dumb things Brian does. And I think about there's got to be something more to why they're doing that dumb thing. And when you view people for their, with their needs it changes the compassion that you have. We need to have compassion because the Bible says some have compassion making a difference. And I'll add Brian's view to it. And then there's others that don't and they don't make a difference. Compassion makes a difference in this world. You know, the time I've been in our, with our police officers, the best officers in our city are the ones with compassion. You say, do all of them have compassion? No. But the ones that do, they're the best ones. And they are making a difference in the lives of people around. It's amazing how that works. Compassion makes a difference. Imagine taking to your workplace compassion. Imagine bringing to church with you compassion. You know, we could look around. And there are some people that should have stayed home when they got sick last week. I could be ticked at them. They were just trying to help. They were not trying to be bad to anyone at all. I don't want anyone to give them a hard time. They did not mean to get anyone sick. That's compassion. They were just trying to help. But let me help everyone out. If you're sick, the best help you can be is by being at home. (laughs) That's the best thing you can do. But we're good. The Lord knows what he's doing. I'm excited for what the Lord's doing. And let's just stay faithful to him. If you're weary today, go to him. He'll give you rest. If you don't know the good shepherd today, get to know him. You'll not regret that. Father, we thank you for the truths that are found in your word. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, and thank you for your grace. Let's think about the songs that we were able to sing this morning. And we sang about your love. We sang about your mercies more. My sin, it's many, but your mercy, it's more saying about your marvelous grace, grace that's greater than all of our sin. Thank you for having compassion on this world and allowing your Son to die for our sins. Father, I pray this morning if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would come to the Good Shepherd and become one of his sheep today. Or I pray that there's a Christian that's weary and tired today that they would come to you, our comfort, our rest, our peace, and get what they need today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder if there's someone this morning who just say, "Pastor, if I died, to, I don't know I'm saved. I want, I want the Good Shepherd to find me. I want to get saved. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm this." I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I need, I need the good shepherd. I'm lost. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Is there a Christian this morning in the room that would say, Pastor, something in the message spoke to my heart. Would you include me in prayer this morning? Would you just raise your hand? Father, you see the hands that are raised this morning. You know the hearts behind each of those hands. I pray that you'd help us live for you that we would please you and whatever you spoke to our hearts about. Help us in those areas. Help us as a church to have compassion on those around our city and to be able to make a difference in the lives of those around us. We love you. Thank you for being our God. Bless your people. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. And may we continue to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On your way out this morning, if you want to sign up for the angel,